OCO! Hello, my name is Greg Bainey, pastor and founder of Woodlands Gathering. You are listening to the Sacred Wonder Podcast. Sacred Wonder is a ministry of Woodlands Gathering Church, located in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. Please listen carefully and prayerfully, and thank you for joining us. Hello, you are listening to the Sacred Wonder Podcast, and I am your host, Greg Bainey. If you are listening and identify as a Native American and have a question or issue that you would like for us to explore, send me an email at sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com. For the last several weeks, we have been working our way through a series of historical barriers that Native people have to the Christian faith. We've discussed such things as Christian empire or Christendom, the doctrine of discovery and the nature of race in America. In the limited amount of time spent covering each issue, we have only been able to scratch the surface and welcome the opportunity to continue the dialogue in days ahead. Today, we are going to explore yet another barrier, the concept of manifest destiny. So what exactly is manifest destiny? How does it relate to the American Christian experience, and what role does it play in American politics today? Manifest destiny is a phrase that was coined in 1845, and is the idea that the U.S. is destined by God to expand its dominion, including the accompanying concepts of democracy and capitalism, across the entire North American continent, from sea to shining sea. This philosophy drove the 19th century's territorial expansion west of the Mississippi River. By the time the philosophy had become known as such, several actions had already occurred. For instance, most of the southeastern tribes had been forcibly removed to lands out west in what was known as Indian Territory. Part of their removal was the promise that the land to which they had been relocated would be in their possession as long as the sun shone upon these lands. As pioneers increasingly made their way to the banks of the Mississippi to present-day St. Louis, they brought with them their faith, their agrarian cultures, and the value of American nationalism. Their view of the land, however, was that it was a clean slate, loaded with abundant resources just ripe for the picking, and the only obstacle in their way were the multiple Indian nations. It is difficult to say what every settler of the region thought or believed, and when reflecting on the past, one can easily make the mistake of generalization. However, those who may not have personally bought into the notion of manifest destiny certainly sought to benefit from it. At the heart of the view was not simply a belief that the values of democracy, capitalism, and the promise of America was good, but that these things were superior. They were superior to the life and values of the land's native inhabitants. More importantly, this difference was viewed through the construct of race, the settler race being superior to that of people with brown or black skin. Most of the tribes west of the Mississippi were not agrarian and were not assimilated among white culture and society as were the five tribes which had formerly inhabited the southeastern United States. However, what events such as the Trail of Tears towed the southeastern Woodlands tribes, many of whom had intermarried with whites and had adopted the white cultural norms to the point of owning slaves. And what this showed them was that it was not enough to believe in the values endorsed by the new American experience. 
you had to be of Anglo descent to participate in the destiny that was manifestly set before them, that of conquering and owning the North American landmass. The number of Anglo settlers grew from 5 million in the year 1800 to more than 23 million by 1850. Such growth, along with economic struggles in the first half of the 19th century, drove many of these immigrants to invade lands west of the Mississippi, despite the fact that to do so was in violation of the treaties between the U.S. and Indian nations. In 1803, Thomas Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase from the French, a landmass stretching from the Mississippi River to the Rocky Mountains. The French had laid claim to these lands under the previously mentioned Doctrine of Discovery, but they had a declining presence, which they were eventually unable to manage from the late 18th century onward. In 1823, President James Monroe used the ideology of manifest destiny to warn European monarchs not to interfere in the colonization of lands west of the Mississippi River, because those lands were destined to become part of the United States. When Texas was admitted into the Union in 1845, the idea of Western expansion was considered inevitable. So what does any of this have to do with Christianity? Well, apart from the fact that the ideology considered the destiny of American expansion to be God-given, there was another significant event which took place during the same time. An event known as the Second Great Awakening was a religious revival that spanned between 1790 and 1840. This revival instilled within many of those advocating for Western expansion a religious fervor because they believed that God had blessed the growth of the American nation. These settlers considered Native Americans to be heathen and uncivilized, in need of hearing the message of the gospel and adapting to the civil European ways. In fact, almost most inland missions spent as much time, if not more, teaching Native populations how to farm as they did the Word of God. In the years following the Civil War, the spread of white settlers increased in its aggression by means of the Transcontinental Railroad, a cross-country highway that expedited the travel of Anglo settlers and missionaries from the East to the West. Though many of these early missionaries simply sought to convert and Anglicize whom they considered merciless Indian savages, the majority of people soon wanted to rid the land completely of its first inhabitants. This led to countless states and territories throughout the West and Southwest offering monetary rewards for the scalps of Native American women and children. By the end of the 19th century, most, if not all, of the American Indian nations had been conquered, and the Western expansion was complete. The attitude of the U.S. government towards those Native inhabitants that remained was best characterized by Colonel John Shivington, a former Methodist minister who joined the Union Army during the Civil War. He declared, and I quote, Damn any man who sympathizes with Indians. I have come to kill Indians and believe it is right and honorable to use any means under God's heaven to do so. Kill and scalp all, big and little. Nits, referring to infants, make lice. End of quote. One can question and should question Colonel Shivington's faith. However, the ideology that gave birth to such a statement had nothing to do with Christianity and everything to do with manifest destiny. 
Nonetheless, in the eyes of this country's first inhabitants, it was enough to associate Christianity and all who profess faith in Christ as the impetus for mass genocide. So why is this information important? Surely it has no relevance for today. Well, there are two ways that this ideology lingers. First, many Christians who have bought into the notion of Christian nationalism continue to believe that America has a God-given destiny to be an example of moral righteousness and civility to the world. This notion is extremely dangerous because it confuses the role of the U.S. with the role of the church. For instance, how often has America been referred to as a city on a hill, an example to the nations? Christ did not use that language to describe any earthly kingdom. He used that language in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, to refer to all who believe in him, those who follow him. By using such language of a nation, any nation, a false belief in national exceptionalism or manifest destiny is affirmed. Given the option between their allegiance to God's kingdom or their allegiance to the moral superiority of the United States, too many Christian believers choose the kingdom of this world because they have been ideologically influenced to consider them one and the same. Second, a leading government official in delivering a speech during the 4th of July holiday this year made the following statement, and I quote, In reaffirming our heritage as a free nation, we must remember that America has always been a frontier nation. Now we must embrace the next frontier, America's manifest destiny in the stars. End of quote. One cannot judge the heart of this individual. However, in the 21st century, there is no reason that any national or local leader should not be aware of the language of manifest destiny and what it means to the native people of the North American continent. Such hubris shows a willful disdain for the well-being of those who still live with the lingering trauma of the past, and it begs the question, whose America is this? So what is the biblical view of a nation's destiny? According to Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, God rules the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. We believe that God causes all things to be, and that nothing in all of creation could be other than it is. He has a plan for everything. Now, this does not mean that everything that has happened is good. To the contrary, bad things happen for reasons that we do not understand. At times, those in positions of power exploit that power to do horrible things. We should not fall into the false notion that because God allows certain things to happen, he is pleased with the outcome. This does not mean that the story is ended. As a descendant of both Native Americans as well as Anglo settlers, I believe America can be better. We as a nation can do better. However, regardless how good of a nation we might become, America too will one day fall. We know this because according to Daniel chapter 2 verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces all other kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. As much as I love this country, the current kingdom, meaning the established government, is not eternal. 
nor is it exceptional. It may appear that way to some, and my challenge to them would be, exceptional to whom or for whom? What is important is that we have the freedom to admit this, and the chance, should we take it, of affirming the truth for those who have been wronged. Thank you for joining us in our podcast today. If you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we seek to explore in all this sacred 